Amen, amen. All right. Anybody glad they came to church on a Sunday afternoon in Salt Lake City? It's good to be together. Jackson's excited. I mean, I don't know if you were in that room a few minutes ago, but it's good. You know, when we come together, God does unique things uh, with us as a family. And so, man, I hope you're encouraged. I'm so grateful uh, just for the presence of God and being a part of a family um, that really wants to know and encounter and walk with God. So if you are here for the first time, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Chris Pletcher. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch Salt Lake. If this is your first time in this church, you might be a little bit shell-shocked right now because we all just scream the name of Jesus at the top of our lungs. Maybe that was new for you. Shannon got up here and talked about fasting, okay, which yes, that does mean we don't eat food sometimes, okay? And so um, if, if you are just like, where, where did I step into? I just want to say, hey, welcome to Antioch Salt Lake, all right? So we are a people with really a simple vision and a heart, and that's to see Jesus exalted over this valley until every single person in this valley has the opportunity to encounter his love, his healing, and his freedom, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe and receive his offer of salvation should not perish, but should have everlasting eternal life then, but also abundant and full life now. Somebody say amen. We weren't saved just so that one day we could experience some eternal life. We were saved to be brought into the kingdom of God now where we begin to experience the healing, the renewal, the freedom of Jesus. And look, all of us are on a different place in that journey. And so wherever you're at on your journey, I'm super glad that you're here tonight. I hope that you are um, experiencing and feeling the love of God and the nearness of God in this place. Um, I do want to say something about fasting, okay? So this first love fast, just to kind of piggyback off that, the goal is twofold. Uh, There's going to be a couple of days that we want to invite you, if you're part of this church family, to fast from food for a day. So we want to kick it off on Wednesday. A fast is when you say, I'm going to actually intentionally humble myself. How many of you love food? How many of you love not eating food? (laughs) Titus, all right. Titus is ready to fast. Not so many hands on that one, right? Here's the deal. Fasting is hard. It's not fun, but it's a spiritual discipline of choosing to humble myself. That's it. By withholding my necessary food from my body, I actually position myself into a little bit of discomfort, Okay, and that discomfort creates a humbling of our spirit that can do a deep spiritual work in us as we seek the Lord while our bodies are hungering for something physical. You know what I'm saying? And so part of the purpose of fasting is to humble ourselves before God because God gives grace to the humble. And it's a way that we lay our, our lives before him and say, God, is there anything you want to you wanna speak to me? Is there anything that you want to uh, clean out of me? It's an intentional process. So that's this Wednesday. We also want to invite you to pray about joining us for this season of Lent. We're not asking you to fast for 40 days. But, but with Lent, there is also this thing where you abstain from something for 40 days. 
Okay, this isn't something sinful. You know, we're, we're, we're supposed to always abstain from things that are sinful. You know that that's the normal Christian life, okay? But we abstain from things that are normal, that are enjoyable, that are, that are good things in our life. But for a season, we say, we're gonna lay that aside so that I can find a, more of a fullness in my heart with the Lord. For example, I love coffee, Coffee's a normal, my, a part of my everyday rhythm and routine. Coffee's not sinful or bad. But for a Lenten season, God might say, hey, I want you to set aside coffee because you love it so much, it's taking some of your affection that's supposed to come on me. And you're finding the, some comfort and affection there, right? Or hey, I want you to abstain from social media for 40 days. Hey, social media is a cool and fine way to get connected, okay, but maybe it's pulling you away from, from your relationship with the Lord and that a season where you just abstain from it could be really beneficial in your walk with God. Does that make sense? As Shannon describes so perfectly, this Ash Wednesday period leading up to Easter Sunday, it is a time of kind of reflection and of repentance, and of praying, you know, Psalm 139, David says, Lord, search me and know my heart. Search me and know my heart. I'm gonna put my heart before you for a season. Say, God, is there anything in me that needs to go? Cool? Does that make sense? So that's what the first love fast is. Um, We would love for you to jump in and be a part of it. Come here for the encounter night on Wednesday night. It's gonna be fun. Um, Okay, so I got some exciting news before we jump in. To the, to the sermon. Are you guys cool with this real quick? One, one last announcement. We have, after a couple of months, finally, officially hired a new Antioch Kids Ministry director, all right? So this is Olivia and Travis Holbrook, okay? Uh, Olivia is, they're moving here in a few weeks from Austin, Texas, um, to jump on our staff. Olivia and Travis, we've actually known them for years. We go back to uh, an Antioch in College Station, Texas. We knew them at an Antioch in Austin, Texas, and God has been stirring and calling them to be a part of what he's doing in Salt Lake, specifically um, in our kids' ministry. So they are moving here in March. Just want to let you guys know it's a big deal for our family um, to step into a paid kids director position with somebody that has a calling on her life to pastor children and actual experience and how we do that effectively. Um, And so just excited. Want to tell you guys the Holbrooks are on the way. You're going to love them. They're going to fit right in here. They're amazing. All right. All right. How are we doing, guys? I'm out of breath because these guys, who's thankful for our worship band? Goodness. I need to use a little bit more self-control because by the time I get up here to preach, I'm already totally out of breath and I've lost my voice. So I'm going to work on that. But we're going to pray and dive into the word of God. A lot of moving pieces today. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Lord, let's just, um, let's just open our hearts to God and his word. Father, we trust you. We thank you. We thank you that you're here, that you're near. And we just ask um, that in this next 35 minutes, God, that you would speak to us through your word. We say you're a good father. Jesus referred to you as a heavenly father more than anything else. So we position our hearts and prepare our hearts today to hear from a good father and to be shaped by a good father. If you're willing to open your heart to the Lord today, if you're willing to open your heart to God, your Father, today, I just want you to say amen. Amen, amen. All right, Lord, uh, 
we're so grateful, um, just grateful to be together again. If you've been around, we've been in a series called First Love Fire for the last five weeks. We've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, all right? And if you were here last week, we were turning the corner out of chapter three, into the end of chapter three. Raise your hand if you were here last week for part five. So we're coming into part six, and, and what we said last week was the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul gives not one single command. Do you know that? I went and double-checked because I almost couldn't believe it. The first three chapters of this letter, he gives not one single command because he was, he was preaching and, and proclaiming to them the beauty of the gospel and specifically the beauty of their identity in Jesus because of the gospel. So, so chapters one through three were about identity, and then we said that he turns the corner here in the next three chapters, Ephesians is six chapters long, he turns the corner out of identity into, do you guys remember? Instruction. And the next three chapters, if you're like looking for practicals, you're just like, give me something to obey, you're gonna love the next five weeks, all right? We spent the first five weeks in, in chapters one through three, was all about identity. We're turning the corner into the next five weeks is gonna be these last three chapters, and it's almost entirely instruction, and so it's actually coinciding very beautifully with an ash season, a Lenten season of repentance. Because over the next five weeks, you're going to have ample opportunities to come here, hear the word of God, not the word of Chris Pletcher, and repent to align your life. And we say repent around here a lot. I know that there's been some like Southern Baptist fire preachers that turn that into a bad word. Repent, you know, you're, the, you're, you're going to hell, right? The repentance is a beautiful word. It was actually the first first word that John the Baptist preached and the first word that Jesus preached. It's very simple. It just means to turn. All of us were born going this direction. Ephesians 2, we read it a few weeks ago. We were born as children of wrath, partnering with Satan, sons of disobedience. Uh, if nobody's told you this lately, I tell you this in love. This will actually help you out, okay? You weren't born good. You were born fallen. You were born in the image of God with incredible potential, okay? But if somebody's just told you your whole life, man, you're just such a good person, you could probably correct them and be like, actually, no, I'm not very good in and of myself. All of us were born going away from God, the process of salvation and the message of salvation is that at some point, hopefully in our lives, we all acknowledge our brokenness and our separation from God. We hear the incredible offer of Jesus, his death, his resurrection on our behalf. We respond to the gospel by saying, wow, God, thank you that you'd love me so much. And we turn into a new life, into a new pursuit where our lives begin to become restored into what we were called to be. Repentance is an incredibly beautiful word. It's actually the kindness of God that invites us to turn out of the old and in to the new life. And so these next three chapters of Ephesians, I mean, if you don't, I, I'm, I realize this is not how to grow a church, okay? If I was trying to grow a big church numerically, I would not be, we would not talk about repentance so much. I'm just going to be honest, there are lots of churches and places and ministries where you can go and get encouraged and maybe not ever be asked to repent and obey God. 
But for the next five weeks, we're gonna put ourselves before the word of God and say, Lord, if there's something in me that doesn't line up with you, we're gonna turn, okay? And it's actually God's kindness that leads us into a new life when we do that. And so say it with me. Chapters one through three were all about identity. Chapters four through six were turning the corner. They're all about instruction because Paul knows if you don't understand the power of what the gospel can and will do in you, you'll never be able to obey the calling that the gospel puts on you. Does that make sense? We have to understand and cherish the calling of the gospel so that we can walk into it. So as we turn the corner into this, in these next few chapters, I want to tell you this story. Some of you may have heard this, but back in the 90s, there was a, uh, a big problem on a South African game preserve regarding, involving, sorry, find your word, man, uh, involving some young bull elephants, all right. Over the span of about five years, these young bull elephants were exhibiting some very uncharacteristic, uh, aggressive behavior, and they actually ended up killing, I think it was over 60 or 80, I can't remember the exact number, in, the, in a period of five years, killing 60 to 80 rhinos because they're this unchecked, aggressive behavior from these young bull elephants literally running through the woods, reckless, and goring rhinoceros to death. And so the biologists and the game wardens kind of stepped in and they go, what in the world is going on here? This is not normal behavior. What happened? And as they studied and they looked into what was going on in this game preserve, they realized that the cause of this aggressive, violent behavior was that they were orphans. I'm not making this stuff up. Years earlier, there was a population issue on the preserve, so they went in to manage the population, and they basically killed all the mature elephants. So all these young bull elephants, all their parents got killed as a part of the management efforts to control the population. And so these young bull elephants were running wild without any fathering without any maturity, keeping their aggression in check. And so literally, you know what they did? They flew in mature bull male elephants from other game preserves, and it fixed the problem immediately. Because what they discovered is that young bull elephants go through a short period of time, kind of like teenage boys, where they are surging into their maturity and they're surging into manhood. And that, that time period is relatively short when it's kept in check by the mature fathers, the mature bull elephants it is kept in check and they are fathered through that period of aggression and it, and it lasts relatively short because their dads keep them in check. But you remove the dads and this thing goes on and it basically never ends. You have this never-ending adolescence. Do you see what I'm saying? These young bull elephants never grow up. Why? Because they didn't have mature fathers showing them the way. See what I'm saying? It reminds me of this verse in 1 Corinthians 4, 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, two things. I want to leave this verse up here. I want to invite you to stand up real quick, if you would, church. I want everybody to stand with me. Because listen, the next five weeks, as I already have told you, are going to be heavy on instruction. You know why? Because we're just preaching through the Bible, okay? We're literally just preaching through three chapters of Ephesians. When you preach topically, you can pick and choose what you want to preach, which means if you want to, you can stay in encouragement land forever, okay? When you preach through a letter to the church in Ephesus, you got to hit everything, And so where the word of God is taking us over the next five weeks is a lot of instruction. And I need us to make an agreement together as a church family that we're not gonna let shame in the door here, okay? Listen, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. Good fathers admonish and bring correction to their children, whether that's in your natural family or in a spiritual family. And so number one, I need to know, church, if we can make an agreement to not let shame in the room for the next five weeks. Okay, six of y'all are cool with no shame in this house, okay? Hey, look, can we just make an agreement? If you wanna be shamed, go to church somewhere else, okay? But if you, I'm sorry, that was a joke, all right? Listen, we're not gonna let shame in here. Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Okay, so I need us to make an agreement here because the word of God is gonna come at us in some areas. And if we're honest, we need it too. And if we let shame in the door, every time it hits you, and it might tonight, you're gonna go like this. Oh man, shame goes. You're gonna, you're gonna feel this, ooh, I'm a terrible, horrible person. Shame blankets you and says, you're no good. The Spirit of God convicts you and says, that thing in your life is no good. Do you see the difference? Shame tries to generalize and put over you a burden that does not help you in the end. It's like a heavy, wet blanket that only presses you down and pushes you further into despair. Good fathering, good spiritual fathering, there's a specific conviction where it says, no, 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 it's not that you're bad. Remember, we just spent the last three chapters of identity where it says you've been raised to new life in Christ, right? You're an adopted child. This isn't about your identity anymore, your identity is secure in Jesus. But this is about allowing things in your life that need to change to change. So I need you to pray with me. Father God, we bind shame from this room right now in Jesus' name. We say spirit of shame cannot remain, it has to go. And that the only spirit welcomed in this church, welcomed in this room, welcomed over the next five weeks of this series is the spirit of holiness, the love of God that leads us through conviction to repentance. We say shame, go. We break partnership with you. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You can sit down. The second piece, leave this scripture up here for a second. As I need to, I think this is kind of why I've been a little nervous about today, if I'm being totally honest with you, because I realize that I'm the new guy that got here six months ago. And I'm still very much aware of that. But in spiritual families, just like on the South African Game Preserve, 
there have to be spiritual fathers. And I didn't work some angle to come to Salt Lake City. God opened a door and called our family to be here. And I hope by now you've seen enough or heard enough to figure out if you want to be a part of this spiritual family. And if your answer in your heart is, yes, I am a part of this spiritual family, I need to ask you if you would let me father you spiritually over the next few weeks and into wherever we're going. I'm asking if you would let me father you in a season. Now, I realize some of you are older than me. That's okay. I need some of you to father me as well. But here's the deal. You have countless guides in Christ. You do not have many fathers. He says he became a father to them in, in, through Jesus Christ in the gospel. And I'm asking if this is your church family, if you would let me father you through these next five weeks. I promise that I will try to do that with gentleness and humility and patience that we're gonna read. But if you have your walls up to spiritual authority and you have your walls up because of bad past leadership, then you're gonna hear all the instruction in the world and it's not gonna do anything to you because you're not opening your heart to be shaped and fathered. Do I have any parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent, okay? The number one thing that determines the maturity and the trajectory of how quickly your child will grow is whether or not they're open to you shaping them. And so I wanna talk about spiritual maturity tonight. We got about 20, 25 minutes. We're gonna talk about spiritual maturity because it's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter four. So flip there with me. We're gonna read several verses Starting in verse one, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Right out of the gate, here's the instruction, church. I just gave you three chapters of your identity and vision and calling, and now here's what I'm calling you to do. I'm urging you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And he goes on, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and, say it with me, Father of all, who's over all and in all and through all. This word urge here at the very beginning, urge, he is exhorting them. He is strongly encouraging them. He is saying there is a passion in him where he is calling them up and calling them out, and he is strongly encouraging them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. This is the first of five exhortations that we're gonna see in the next three chapters. If you just go through Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, and you circle every time he says the word walk, you'll find the five exhortations. He starts here, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Next week, I urge you to walk no longer like the Gentiles. Basically, he's urging us into holiness. He's saying, don't live like you used to live. And then weeks after, he urges them to walk in love, to walk as children of the light, and to walk in wisdom. It is the framework and the structure of the second half of Ephesians. It's a series of five exhortations from a spiritual father who is 
disciplining, shepherding his sons from a spiritual infancy into a spiritual maturity. We're going to talk about spiritual maturity tonight, and we're going to talk about the process that we go from being spiritually infants to being spiritually mature. And the number one factor of whether or not we will progress from being babies in Christ to being spiritually mature people is if when our spiritual authority exhorts us and urges us to walk something out, it's very simple whether we heed that exhortation or not, right? That's why these next few chapters are filled with so much instruction. So right out of the gate, he calls us into humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Did you see those things? He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and he says, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Here's the point. The number one thing that he is calling us to when he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, the number one thing he's calling us to is the character of Jesus. The roadmap that we're gonna see through here is character to gifting to maturity, Can y'all say that with me? Just so I'm an extrovert. I need to know you're still with me. Listen, the first thing he talks about is character. He's going to move on to talking about our gifting, and all of that is to point us into maturity. So say it with me character, gifting, unto maturity. He's talking about maturing spiritually. He said, I gave you three chapters of the gospel and the work of God in you, and you're an adopted son, and you've been raised to newness of life. No, no, no. Check it out. Listen, listen. Now act like it. Now walk like it. Now work out your salvation. Walk out. I didn't say work for your salvation. You can't do that. It's a free gift. I said walk out your salvation. Become who Jesus saved you and rescued you and has called you to be. Here's the reality. The first thing we're called to is godly character to imitate and emulate the character of Jesus. We could, we could talk about humility in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Y'all have heard this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. The humility of Jesus needs to be becoming humility in us. Gentleness, 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Look, I'm just going to stop here and say, if you're a jerk to people and you're a Christian, you need to repent. Why? Because you're called to emulate the kindness of Jesus to everyone, to be able to teach, to patiently endure evil. Check this out. To correct his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. We're called to patience, which patience in, this, in, in Ephesians 4, it really it's, it's said well here in the 2 Timothy passage to patiently endure evil. We're not, look, the character of Jesus in me is not that when I'm in a long line at Chick-fil-A, I don't freak out. That's not biblical patience, okay? Biblical patience is patiently enduring evil. It actually speaks more to your endurance, your long suffering. It's that when things get tough, you dig into Jesus and you press through it with him, right? This is the godly character that is gonna undergird everything else that he's moving us towards. He said, you're called to humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The number one thing that we're called to, that he exhorts us to, as he's turning this letter into instruction, is godly character. And I, I realize that we live in America. Come on, just have some fun with me for a second. We live in the land of America's Got Talent. We live in the land of American Idol. We live in the land that is obsessed with your gifting, obsessed with your talent, obsessed with your uniqueness. Come on, you live in America, right? Is America obsessed with character? No, man. We live in the land that is obsessed with gifting. We don't really care what your character is. Actually, could you just hide your character over there? Because we kind of think everything and anything's cool now, so you don't tell me about all your dirt. Oh, wait, no, now we live in the land where we can just throw it all out there because everything's cool. I mean, tell me, do we live in a nation that is concerned with character or is more concerned with gifting? So if we get these out of order, we step out of the kingdom. Jesus is obsessed with character. He's obsessed with our character being conformed into his character, right? This is, character has to come first because if you get, if you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to conform humility in your heart, if you allow the Holy Spirit to conform your heart to patient endurance, if you allow the Holy Spirit to conform your heart into gentleness. I got five little kids, eight and under. This has been like the last decade for me. Like, oh man, this never-ending sanctification fire of learning how to be gentle all the time. Murray, you know what I'm talking about, man, all right? It is part of godly character that we walk in his gentleness, that we walk in his forgiveness. You see, he comes right out of the gate and he says the number one thing you're called to is to be like Jesus. We want to talk so much about our gifting and about our destiny and about where do I fit and where do I get to show everybody how special and unique I am. And Jesus is like, I I want you to be obsessed about your character. If you will obsess about your character, oh my gosh, I will release supernatural gifting on you like you never imagined. That's the economy we live in. Do you know that? That when you focus on developing the character of Christ in you, he can actually release on you supernatural gifts that you weren't even born with. Character before gifting. You see, are you with me, church? So here's the next part, though. And the reason I think he hits on these four things, humility, gentleness, patience, and what was the last one, forgiveness, is because I think that he is, it, it, we have to be reminded that we're building a dwelling place for God in the spirit. Y'all remember that, Ephesians 2.22? I told y'all last week, if there was one verse that I could hang on the building, that my one desire for this body would that we would be built together into a dwelling place for, for God by the spirit. I love, I'm an extrovert. I love being around people. I love it when people come to church. I love it when we get to gather together and encounter God together. I love being around people. 
But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this to you in love and in honesty. I am way less concerned about you showing up here as that I am about him showing up here. I am not building a house where you would feel comfortable in. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am building a house where he will feel comfortable in. Because if we, if we can be built together and he is the first person that shows up, man, then we are literally fulfilling this great call to see God's house established. And so I think that's why he calls us to these things, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. But he's reminding us, guys, it's not about you. It's actually not about us as individuals. It's about we're building something bigger than any of us. It's about him. And so he goes after this character of Jesus first, and then he gets to gifting. Check it out in verse seven. We're still in Ephesians four. He says, but... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave what to men? He gave gifts to men. He goes on in verse 11. Check this out. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Are you seeing the maturity language here? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Okay, so what comes first, church? Character. And then he puts on top of our character, what? Gifting. And all of this is so that we might work together in moving towards the end goal, which is maturity. Do you see the maturity language here? We're, we're attaining to something, to a mature manhood. He's saying that we would no longer be children. So it's gifting, sorry, it's character first, and then he's released, he released gifts within the body, and then as we work together in our humble character, and as we refine the giftings of God that he's put on all of us differently, then we actually start moving towards a mature expression of Jesus on the earth. And that is the goal, is that we move towards an expression of Jesus together. Do you know that that's why we're called the body? I mean, I'm gonna pick on Jay, okay? Jay Masco, okay? If y'all know Jay, Jay is in his residency program here. He's becoming a doctor. Man, day and night, he lives serving and loving people through the hospital system here in our, in our area. And Jay is a man made in the image of God, a man redeemed by the grace of God, and Jay brings encounters with God to the hospital by himself with the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying, okay? But Jay is a faithful man of God, and he goes to that hospital, patient after patient, he's loving them, he's caring for them, and Jay is able to, by himself in the image of God, bring an encounter with God to somebody in the hospital. Would you agree with me? I hope so, because you are able to do that as well, okay? But 
When Jay links in with the body of Christ and is connected to the larger organism that's not just Jay by himself over here, but when Jay's connected to a larger family over here, Jay becomes a part of something so much bigger where people are able to experience the fullness of Jesus through his people, not just a reflection of Jesus through one person. Are you with me at all? There is something so much greater when we get it right together is what I'm saying. And so he's giving us these giftings to equip all of us into what he calls the work of ministry. All right, check this out. I looked up both of these words in the Greek because I wanted to really understand what does this mean, the work of ministry, all right? And the word work, this is gonna blow your mind, it actually means work, all right? So it's a business, it's an undertaking, it's an industry, it is labor. So when he's talking about the work of ministry, he's talking about a work of service. The word ministry means service, Now check this out. I want to be really, really, really clear on this. Ministry is not being on a church staff. Ministry is not church work. Ministry is not when you come to volunteer at church. Ministry is not just being a pastor. Listen, ministry is the service of God and the furthering of his kingdom in any sphere. We come together as the church body And God puts these different gifts in our midst. I'm gonna read these five again because I believe that every single one of us, as we mature with God, one of these gifts will emerge in our life, okay? The first one he says is there's an, an, an apostle, an apostolic gifting, which means there's a gift on your life to lead people forward into something, if you feel like there's a leadership gift on your life, maybe it's just barely starting to show, I wanna ask you to stand up. There's an apostolic gifting in your life. Come on, don't be bashful, all right? I have an apostolic gifting on my life. God has called me to lead things and to move things forward. Stay standing, okay? The next thing he said is there's a prophetic gift in the body, okay? Apostles lead forward. The prophets guide where we're going because they have an ability to hear hear God and see what's going on. And so when the apostle is reaching back and hanging on to the prophets, he's leading in the direction that God is speaking. You see what I'm saying? That's why we have a prophetic team. If you're a prophetic person, come on, I want you to stand up. You can stay standing, apostles. That's why we have a prophetic prayer team that shows up at three o'clock to pray and say, God, where are we going? Okay, And the next one he says is evangelists, because when we come together and we're come together in the body of Christ, we can't forget as the apostles are leading us forward somewhere and the prophets are helping us know where to go, we can't forget about all the lost people out there in our city. And we've got to keep the need for the gospel to be preached at the forefront. I want you to stand up if you're an evangelist, all right? If you are always thinking about how do we get more people saved, how can I share the gospel today, I want you to stand up. And then after that, so apostles, prophets, evangelists, it's the, the shepherds, okay? The shepherds are the one that 
Help keep the flock healthy and happy and fat and protected, okay? These are the ones that you're always thinking about how everybody's doing. You're always concerned about how everybody's feeling. Maybe you're a life group leader. You love meeting with people, talking about their hearts, counseling people as they're growing. I want you to stand up if you think there's a shepherding, gifting, and calling in your life. Come on, stand up, my shepherds. Let's go, let's go. And it's okay if you don't know yet. I'm gonna do the, the fifth one. It's okay if you don't know yet, okay? But God has given all of these different gifts so that we might have all these different mindsets operating together. Remember, what's first? Sorry, I'm asking about a different list. Character, all right? Okay, so I didn't make you stand up for your character. I wasn't, who's humble so far? Okay, I didn't need to do that, okay? But look, it's character first. On top of your godly character, he leads forth a host of captives and he gives gifts to men. Gifting has to sit on character because if gifting doesn't have character holding it underneath, we see this unfortunately all the time, okay? People implode, incredibly gifted, anointed people that are leading the masses implode and hurt lots of people, not because their gift wasn't good enough, but because their character wasn't established. Character plus gifting, that helps us if we're doing this together, move on to maturity. And the last one here is our teachers. As we're the prophets are, sorry, the apostles are leading us forward, the prophets are helping us know where, the shepherds are taking care of everybody, the evangelists are reminding us, preach the gospel, there's more lost people, and the teachers are banging their fists, holding the Bible the whole time, going, hey, 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 are we going in the right direction? Have we veered from the path of truth? These, you, these are the ones here who you're like, every time I preach, you're like, oh, is that heresy? I mean, I'm gonna go look into that. You're like, you're like testing the word, okay? So stand up if you're a teacher, okay? If you got a teaching gift on your life, I want you to know you're needed in the body of Christ. There's a place for you to fit. Now, if you don't know, stand up, okay? If you don't know where you fall in one of those five, stand up. It is okay, all right? This has been a lifelong journey for me. I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And if you would have asked me at year three, I would have told you one thing. At year seven, I would have told you a different thing. At year 12, I would have told you I was sure I was a prophet. At year 17, I would have said, no, I think I'm just a shepherd. Not just a shepherd. I think I'm a shepherd. It's taken me a long journey to realize, oh, no, no, no. There is an apostolic calling on my life to lead people and communities forward into something. And so it's okay. All right, everybody can sit down. So it's character first, and then there's gifting, and then uh, that leads us into maturity. I want to say again, so ministry is the service of God and the furthering of his kingdom in any sphere, okay? Any sphere. In Joshua, you guys know this famous uh, Bible verse. He says, as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord, okay? So as for me, that's like the perfect scripture of the work of ministry. It's you and your house saying, we're going to serve the Lord. That doesn't mean I need to be on a church staff somewhere. Actually, the three, some of the greatest men that I know in this community that are saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it would be a shame if they quit their businesses to try to, because they thought that the work of ministry meant they needed to be pastors, and lead a church. 
And I'm gonna call some of them out in a second, but I want you to see this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It starts with me, right? As for me, the work of ministry starts within you. And then it extends from you to your what? Your, thank you so much, come on. As for me and my house. It starts in you, it extends to your household, it flows through your household into your job, whatever God's called you to do. It should be connected into the greater body of your faith community and it should be impacting the city around us. This is the work of ministry in any sphere. And I'm running out of time or else I would talk about Mark Parrott and Outpost Advisors. He's a man of God. He's saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what God's given them to serve the Lord is to come alongside other families, refine their family vision, and then help them develop a financial strategy so that their entire household can be pointed towards God's calling on their life as a family. He's saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God's given him a ministry, but he's not, but he's keeping that connected through his household and to the body of Christ, right? Or Blake Staley, who's, he mean, making cars shine in the valley since 2015. He started a, a detailing company, okay? Blake, apostle, prophet, evangelist, Blake's an evangelist. So he's out spit-shining people's cars all day long, sharing the gospel. I mean, he needs to be out there cleaning cars and talking to people about Jesus. If you know Blake, it would be a shame if Blake said, man, I really feel like I need to get into ministry. I'd be like, dude, you are in ministry, man. And he's, it says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's connected to the body of Christ. These guys, there's others, man. Sean Michaelis, Michaelis Holmes. I know I talked about Jay in the hospital. There's so many of you. You're, you're doing the work of ministry, and it, and, it, and it looks in all these different spheres, right? And when we do that together, man, beautiful things happen, and we begin to see that it starts in my family, it's connected to other families, that's called the church, and it's making an impact in the city. You see what I'm saying? And we're coming into a place where we're growing up into maturity, and that's really the, the last thing I want to say. I want you to go ahead and stand up. Band, y'all can, y'all can come on up here. All of this is an invitation to maturity. Can we get Ephesians 4, 13, and 14 back up here real quick? We doing okay, church? Come on. So he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I want you to read verse 14 with me, so that we may no longer be children. No longer be children. I want to tell you about two things real quick. That word for children, okay, it is the, the Greek word, it's, it's uh, nepios. It means infant. It literally means a baby who's not able to speak yet. If you want the full study on all the Greek words of, of the, in the Bible on child, children, son, go talk to Mark Parrott, okay? He, he's got the full study. He's a teacher, and it's beautiful. But this word means infant. It means spiritually, you're a baby in Jesus. Okay, now I don't know about your house, 
but I don't condemn or judge babies for being babies, okay? Babies are just babies because they're new. There's nothing wrong with being a spiritual infant, listen, listen, unless you stay a spiritual infant, okay? We all have a season where we're new, and that just means we're we're weak. We're kind of unstable. Infants are unstable on their own, and they need necessarily a period of time where somebody changes their diapers, feeds them, dresses them. That is a normal early stage of being a Christian. Some of you became Christians, were in this infant baby season, had nobody helping you, and you struggled massively. And that's not a failure on your part. You were spiritually orphaned. You got saved, became a new infant, and nobody fathered you. And so, but he's saying, look, the goal though on this journey is that as a whole church, we are leaving infancy for maturity. That's the invitation. The word for maturity means, it's teleos, it means to be full grown. It's translated in other places as perfection, but it doesn't mean that you're perfect and you never sin anymore. But it does mean that you're mature and you've left the stage of infancy to where now you are walking in obedience to Jesus. You are a mature follower. Now, look, if, okay, First, First Corinthians 14 says it like this, verse 20. Let's get it up here. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. First Corinthians 14, 20. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Those are all the same words. He's calling us to maturity. Now look, if you saw my eight-year-old son sucking a pacifier, what would you think? That kid needs to grow up. If you saw my six-year-old boys still wearing diapers what would you think that kid needs to grow up right what would you think if you saw a teenage boy still using a sippy cup and asking mommy to cut his food into bites for him you would say that boy needs to grow up where's his daddy okay remember the elephants you see them acting crazy you gotta go man what happened so it's okay to be an infant. It's not okay to stay an infant. You see what I'm saying? This is normal Christianity. We're moving on to maturity. Now, I asked you if you'd let me father you. You've had 35 minutes to think about that question, okay? So now it's going to get real. What would you think if you saw a grown man playing video games all day long? It's time to grow up. Okay, what would you think if you saw a believer gossiping about a situation that they were not directly involved in? It's time to grow up. I say this in love, but also in firmness. Church family, gossip is sin. It's time to grow up. I've only been here six months. Family, I'm fathering you. I've only been here six months. I've heard more gossip in this church family than any church family I've ever been a part of. Gossip is when you have a problem with somebody, but instead of lovingly talking to them about it, you go talk to somebody else about them. It is sin, and we need to grow up, my children. Okay? What would you do if you saw a believer unable to give forgiveness to others that they themselves claimed that they had received? You'd say, it's time to grow up. 
Do you not know that your entire salvation is based upon you being forgiven? You need to forgive that person. I, and now I say this next one as somebody that was, was trapped in in addiction to this stuff in my own life for years Jesus set me completely free been free for a long time but what would you say to a believer continuing to view pornography regularly you would say it's time to grow up I told you we were, I, I was going to father you a little bit today and the word of God is saying, saying guys guys this isn't judgment. Remember, we all agreed that there's no shame in the room, okay? He's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called to, right? He's saying, I'm urging you, don't stay where you're at as an infant. It's time to grow up, and it's time to move forward, church. It's time to move forward. says in verse 15 at the end of this passage he says speaking the truth in love I just wanted you to know I'm not making this grow up thing up all right he says speaking the truth in love we're to grow up into every in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part somebody say this with me is working properly it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love i say this to you in love if any of those things that i mentioned and i and i just those are a few okay there's more but I'm, if, if any of those things that i mentioned if they're in you you're not working properly which isn't just a bummer for you it's a bummer for the body that you're connected with because God's called us unto maturity in something. So I know this got a little bit heavy here in the end, but listen. Jesus was the embodiment of love. The embodiment of perfect love from a father and he spoke the truth when he saw that there was something holding you back from maturity he told you he loved you enough to say that is killing you or that is killing us you need to move on from that and stop it so we're just going to respond and make some room, all right? And look, look, there's no shame in this place, okay? If you are clean, then you are clean. I'm not telling you to go on some treasure hunt and find something to feel guilty about, okay? But if the Holy Spirit is pointing at something, then man, we just, we give it to him. And this is the beauty. We receive the grace of God. So Jesus, we just thank you that your blood is more than enough. There's no shame in this room, Lord. There's only a place for newness of life today as your blood covers us, washes us, and leads us into maturity. We say, come, have your way, Jesus. We love you. We respond to you now in your great name.